Matthew 25. We're going to start at verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right hand and the goats at his left. And then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left hand, You that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me, naked, and you did not give me clothing, sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? And then he will answer them, truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. The word of the Lord. The least of these. You've probably heard this phrase before, and it is from this text, from Matthew 25. That phrase is actually not even used anywhere else in the New Testament. It's just from right here. But you've probably heard it. And you probably have a pretty good image around what it means to be the least of these. It's a phrase that the church often uses to talk about someone who is poor or powerless. Um, you may picture a person who lives in a third world country. You may picture a child. Um, you may picture someone standing on a street corner that's holding a sign asking for help. But that phrase, the least of these, is key in this passage because if you're standing in that great crowd that's all gathered around Jesus and Jesus lets you know, like, oh, actually, I was here. I was in the least of these. Then in the crowd, you're like, oh, that's where you were, Jesus. Like, well played, you know? It's kind of like an episode of Undercover Boss, you know? And it's like, oh, man, there, okay, I get it now. But we totally didn't figure that out. The whole Gospel of Matthew is building up to this parable. So if you've been tracking with us here with the narrative lectionary over the last several weeks, 
It's been these parables that kind of like mysteriously give this picture of what it's going to look like when the kingdom of heaven arrives in its fullness, or in other words, when Christ returns. And it's very mysterious. Um, All of these stories so far, though, have one thing in common. Some people are ready, and some are not, right? Some have uh, their lamps lit, and they have made wise investments, and then others totally ignore the invitation or didn't wear the right clothes. Some people have been ready since the beginning of the day, and other people kind of like slipped in at 5 p.m. And now in this parable, the camera like pulls back, and we see all the nations gathered. Everyone is here. Everyone. But there's something different here. Because in this parable, no one is ready, right? The parable seems pretty simple. Um, Jason's not here, but, right, sheep, good. Goats, bad. You know, it seems like a pretty simple moral story, right? If you, if you make good choices, then good things happen to you. And if you make bad choices, then bad things happen to you. But the crazy thing is that neither the sheep nor the goats even realize that they've made a choice. They are both stunned. They both say to Jesus, but, but wait, when did we see you? And then Jesus reveals this, this undercover boss moment, you know. Like, well, I was actually present with you in the least of these. So up to this point, we're tracking pretty well, right? This is like a tale as old as time as far as the kingdom of heaven is concerned, which we talk about a lot here. We know that this kingdom is like an upside-down kingdom. So the king of heaven is not born into a palace, but in, as a, he's born as a refugee and in Bethlehem, of all places. And then, spoiler alert, but he's crucified under criminal charges. And so he's born a refugee, and he dies a criminal. So when we read this parable, and we realize that Jesus has chose the least of these to be the people that he is present in, that he incarnates in, we're not surprised by that. It's radical, but we're not surprised by that. But perhaps we should ask, who exactly are the least of these? This phrase, uh, the least of these, it's kind of tricky. If you've been around the church for very long, then you may even have like a little bit of baggage with this phrase, right? It's these moments where the church like goes up and says, we're going to love you. Because Jesus has called us to love the least of these. And Aiden's like, what did you just call me? (laughs) Right? Um, (laughs) Who exactly are the least of these? There's three perspectives here from biblical scholars. And these are fascinating, okay? So, So hang with me through these quickly. The first perspective from biblical scholars is that the least of these members of my family actually refers to the Christian community. That the church is God's presence in the world. 
And so as the parable describes these acts of kindness that are being done to the body of Christ, when you lose your space on your page and you want to make sure you say it right, as the parable describes these acts of compassion being done for the body of Christ, Jesus chooses this descriptor, the least of these, to be the thing that describes the body of Christ, the church, right? These are the words that describe us. And so with, with that first interpretation of what the least of these are, as everyone is gathered before Jesus, they are judged, everyone is judged based on how they cared for the Christian community. In the second view, the least of these refers to the uh, to all humans that are in need. Anyone who is poor, whether they're Christian or not. And so in this view, as all the nations are gathered before Jesus, they are judged based on how they cared for the hungry and the those that are in need, whether they were a part of the church or not. But in the third view, the third view suggests that this parable actually teaches both of these things. That while there are people in need, both inside and outside of the church, those who are part of the body of Christ are considered the least rather than the greatest. And with that comes the actual experience of physical need. Thomas Long, who uh, writes a commentary on Matthew, he puts it this way. He says, Christians come to the world not in limousines and silk, but hungry and thirsty. They are not the power elite or the moral majority forcing their will on the nations. They are identified with the weak of the earth and are more likely to be found in hospitals and prisons than in palaces. Indeed, the shock of this parable is that no one, not even the goats or even the sheep, recognized Christ because they assumed that the majestic, triumphant Lord of all time would surely appear as a powerful presence in history. But this is not God's way in the world. We are the least of these is really, really radical. It's a really radical shift. And I would encourage all of you at some point to take a moment um, of silence and solitude and to sit and wonder over that we as the church are the least of these. But in addition to the wonder, I realize we also have um, some practical questions about this, such as, does this parable draw a socioeconomic line? Can you be the least? if you are not poor? What if you do not hold power and influence? Or what if you do hold power and influence? Are you still the least? At what point do you cross the line and become the greatest of all time? Right? A goat. So in the... Uh, some of you were woke. You got it. Um, those are my only two slangs here, so we're, we're good now. Um, this is really cool, though, and, and many, many of you may have heard of this before, but in the monastic order, when you are, uh, you take several sacred vows in the process of becoming a priest or a nun or a monk, and one of those sacred vows is the vow of poverty, 
And that vow does not mean that you vow to never own possessions. Um, although, if you're living in a monastic community, you don't really have the need or the space to own very much. But the vow of poverty is a vow to consider all things in common with the community. And it's like radically open hands. And sometimes when you take that posture, you feel the weight of that posture by the sacrifices that you feel called to make in response to the need of someone else. And you feel that weight. And other times you feel that weight when you receive the sacrifices that other people have made on your behalf. The posture of poverty is, uh, is not to make light of very real impoverishment. But it's to say that because we are joined together as the body of Christ, that my resources are not mine, but I'm a steward of them for the body. My money is not mine, but I am a steward of it for the body. My house is not mine, but I am a steward of it for the body. Last fall, I was, um, I was driving down Lebanon Pike where it crosses over Riley Parkway. And as I was stopped at the traffic light, I looked over and I saw that there was a woman standing at the exit and she was holding a sign. And a minivan had pulled over to the side of the road and there was another woman getting out of the van. And I could best describe her as kind of a typical suburban mom was what she kind of looked like. And she begins walking towards the woman that's holding the sign. And as I drove by, I assumed that you know she had pulled over because she wanted to give her money. And it would have been hard to give her money to get her attention without pulling over because she was facing the traffic that was coming in off of the exit. But when I drove back by 30 minutes later, the two of them were sitting on crates and they were still talking. And perhaps when we imagine the least of these, and when we think about how Jesus was incarnate in the least of these, we might see what was happening there, and we might say, oh, the woman in the van, she's just sitting there talking to Jesus. But a more embodied theology would say that the woman in the van looked over and said, oh, there is a member of my body. There is a member of our body, the body of Christ. It's not that Jesus is in us, but that we are in Jesus. Because if Jesus was just in me, then the body of Christ would look just like an ear or an eye or a nose. Because I'm only one part of the body. And so together, all of us, are joined and compose the body of Christ as it continues to have an actual physical presence on this earth. And so what we're talking about is actual bodies. We're talking about flesh-covered, real bodies. When Jesus has all the nations gathered before him, his question is, did you feed my body? Did you clothe my body? Did you care for my body? It's not this ingenious analogy when we say that we're members of the body of Christ. 
we are actually talking about very real incarnation and very real bodies. And can I make can I make this connection? I wonder if we are able to ignore the suffering in other members of the body of Christ because we don't practice giving attention when our own body cries out for help. Can we make that leap? That maybe the way that we care for our own body informs the way that we care for the whole body? Jewish people understood that the body and the soul can't be connected. It was the Greeks that came in with this like disembodied view of ourselves. And today, in the church, we, we continue to be very disembodied, both in ourselves and then in the whole body. Do you care for your body? Am I caring for your body? Are we caring for the body of Christ? And it's kind of weird to talk so much about bodies in church, right? Like, why are we talking about bodies? Like, this is where we talk about spiritual things, you know, like like praying and singing and breaking bread and fasting and listening and giving. And have you ever noticed how every spiritual practice that we do starts in our physical body? Have you noticed how on the last night that Jesus had with his disciples, he didn't give them something to believe. He gave them something to do with their bodies. He gave them something that would require that they come together and that they have to draw into one another's lives. I wonder why washing one another's feet makes us cringe. You know, like if you show up at church and the pastor starts talking about feet washing, you kind of start like looking to see was was there a basin, you know, that I missed when I walked in? Like, oh man, did I show up on foot washing Sunday? You know, like, don't do that. You know, I wonder, I wonder why it's, it's so uncomfortable to wash one another's feet. I wonder why we hesitate to involve our bodies in our spiritual practices. I wonder why, and I don't know who, but I wonder why it's so awkward to hold hands when we pray for people. And I'm not saying it in like this passive-aggressive wondering way. I really wonder, like, why is this so awkward sometimes, you know? Like, to feel your skin and to be reminded that, that you are human and that your heart beats and that you feel pain and that you inspire wonder. Why is that so awkward, right? But it is, it's so awkward. And I wonder if what we need is actually not more information about God, but what we need is to actually practice incarnation with our bodies, right? Barbara Brown Taylor says this. She says, above all, I am happy for the practices that bring me back to my body where the operative categories are not good or bad, but dead or alive. And as hard as I have tried to be good all my life, as hard as I try to be good even now, my heart leans more and more towards that which gives life, whether it's conventionally good or not. So today, right now, we are going to practice incarnation. 
And it's not about this practice that we're going to do together. It's not about it being bad or good. But it's about it, this practice giving life. So on each table, you have a piece of paper. And I have two that are taped on the walls because there seems to be kind of sections in between tables so that you can group there as well. So each table is a group, and then there'll be two table lists groups that kind of like form out of the margins between the tables. Does that make sense? Um, on this piece of paper is written one of the uh, acts of compassion that the world cared for the body of Christ in this parable. And what we will practice is making these words come to life. I want to encourage you to practice this with greatest reverence. As a group, you will decide on a pose or a movement that you can act out in less than a minute that uh, will communicate this act of compassion. And at the end, without speaking, each group will come up and will share the demonstration of that act. And I want you to, as you do this, okay, I want you to wonder beyond just what immediately comes to mind, okay? If you have, um, I was hungry and you gave me food, I want you to think about when you have experienced hunger. Think about what hunger feels like. What would you compare hunger to? Is there an image in the world that you would connect with hunger? If not in people, do you see hunger in creation? Um, what happens once hunger is fed? Think about where you've seen it, not on a screen, but where you have physically been in the presence of hunger. If you have, I was naked and you gave me clothing, then think about when we are vulnerable and exposed and how others can come and cover and protect us in those moments. Bring the depth of these words to life. I'll encourage you one last time to practice this with great reverence. And, um, and I, I'll let you know when your preparation time has ended. We'll take about seven minutes. And then, and then we'll go around. And I'll come around if you need any guidance. Um, but gather into your groups a pose or a, um, a movement that you can act out and bring these words to life with your bodies. So the temptation um, with something like this is that you're going to want to explain it like, you're going to want to get up here and say, okay, this is what this means, and I'm standing here for this reason, and we're trying to do this thing. Um, but as you come up, instead of explaining it, just come up and use your bodies to explain it, okay? So we're going we're gonna to go through these in the order that they are in Scripture. Um, and as you come up, please come up in silence. And act together with your group in whatever pose or action that you have, and um, and then you can be seated.
And um, I know you guys are scrambling back over this corner. Um, what what this does is something kind of similar to what uh, Godly Play does that the kids do every week. Is that by not giving the answer of what you're doing, it actually allows all of us to practice wonder as well. And how cool that what we're wondering about is the body of Christ. Okay, so what what I see may be different than what David sees or what Maeve sees, right? So there's there's something um, really important about letting there be a space created there for wonder. So as you get up, um, you can come up in silence. You can do your pose if it's a pose. Hang on to it for maybe like 15 seconds so that everyone has a minute to kind of process what it is that you're doing. Um, if it's a motion or an action, then uh, a minute or less. Okay? Does that sound good? All right. Let's practice incarnation. The first is, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. broken for us. And now, here with our bodies, you continue to have a presence here on earth. And in the same way that you gave your body for us, we give our bodies for one another. Our bodies speak truth. Truth that is seen beyond our words and our hesitations and our discomforts. God, would you help us to hear our bodies? Would you help us to hear the bodies of the people around us that are part of your body? God, I thank you for the way that we are a whole being, a whole human. And I pray that in the same way that your body was broken 
that you will break our bodies for the healing and reconciliation of the world. Amen. So we're going to give the kids a few minutes to get in here. Full disclosure, I didn't know how long that would take, uh, so they may need just a minute. Um, so I, I will share with you a filler story, if you will. Uh, this is like this is like when you get a movie and they show you all the deleted scenes. <laughs> this is like what almost made it into the sermon, but didn't, you know. But since we have this gap of time, we told them like we're done, so they're like, okay, uh, all right. So you know, there's moments where you really experience um, what it's like to be functioning as one body, and I had an experience like this with a group of people. Um, this past December, where um, I did not listen to my own body <laughs> at all, and I took on so much that I don't know if you've ever felt this feeling like, I think I might actually die. Um, I've literally depleted myself in such a way that that I my whole being feels depleted. Like, I can hardly walk straight. I feel like I can't think, like everything is done and exhausted um, and completely depleted. And I went into a week of needing to complete a work project that involved painting and like picking up things and unboxing and, you know, like very physical type of work. I went into this week in this space, right? And so I had like probably 40 or 50 hours of work to cram into like three or four days but I have the strength of positivity. And so I was like, oh, we can do this. We can do this, body. You just hang in there. We're going to do it. And, and I did. Like, I just kept going. And it's like, it's like the miracle of burnout. Like, you burn out, but you still, like, keep going, you know? And, and I do not recommend this at all to anyone. It's, it's very poor practice. But in a moment of confession, like, this is just where I was. And, and so when you're in a moment like that, what do you do? Like, you just plug away, and you plug away. And then eventually, you get to the place, I mean, we're like five steps past when this should have happened, but you get to the place where you're like, maybe I'll ask for help. You know, maybe I'll like send a text message to like my friends and see if they can help me. And so I did send a text message out to a few people that I thought, you know, maybe they would have some time, you know, they're in college, like, what else do they have to do, you know, they can come paint, maybe, perhaps, and, and so I sent a couple text messages out, and those people sent text messages out, and before I knew it, I had a group of people that entered into this house, and someone walked in and brought a pot of chili, and they looked at me and said, when was the last time that you ate, and I had to think about it. And I actually didn't know. <laughs> I think yesterday, maybe I had, like, coffee this morning so I could, like, keep going, you know, like with some milk in it, so maybe a little protein. And and they just looked at me and just, like, you know how it's like you don't need to say anything. You just kind of slowly extend the bowl, you know. And so I took and I ate. And we worked. And... At one point, I'm, I'm working, and I'm painting, and I'm hearing people talking, and I feel like, okay, my soul is slowly lifting, and someone comes up behind me and, and taps my shoulder and doesn't even say anything, but just hands me a cup of water. 
And I realized, oh, I am thirsty. I actually don't remember the last time I drank water. And they just handed me a cup of water. And we kept working, we kept working. I heard people singing. I heard people telling stories about God. I heard people asking questions about God. And we worked and we worked. And at 4.30 in the morning, we departed. And it was this incredible experience of what it is like to actually function as the body of Christ. To actually consider yourself as the least. And that when you are the least, sometimes you're going to enter into a day exhausted because you stayed up till 4.30 in the morning helping this poor, positively exhausted girl finish work that she could not do on her own. And sometimes when you're the least of these, you're going to realize that I came with a full pot of chili, but I'm going home with an empty pot. What am I going to cook today? What's going to be for my lunch? And it's this like radically open hands that sometimes does put us in a place of being the ones who are poor and the ones who are in need.